You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Welcome to this week's edition of Your Life is Worth Living, Reflections from the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. For over 50 years, Archbishop Sheen captivated audiences on both radio and television. Millions tuned in each week to hear his messages of hope and encouragement. On this week's broadcast, we will share a few of those reflections with you. And so we'd encourage you to sit back and relax and enjoy one of the greatest communicators of our time, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Hello, Radio Maria family, and welcome to another edition of Your Life is Worth Living, heard here on Radio Maria Canada a Catholic voice wherever you are. I want to thank you for joining me today to uh, listen to the wit and wisdom of the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, this show, I'd like to say, is dedicated to the ladies because uh, uh, Bishop Sheen is going to be talking about women as objects and not persons. And Bishop Sheen had a great uh, compassion for women. He knew the struggles that they faced every day in society, uh, that, you know, women had been looked down upon, uh, taken as, uh, you know, objects and not persons. And um, it, it's sad. I mean, it still happens in today's society. But uh, Bishop Sheen was not afraid to defend the ladies and to speak about this tough issue. And to think, you know, 30 million people uh, watch that program. And uh, can imagine what the conversations around the water cooler were uh, the next day. And uh, bravo for Bishop Sheen. He wasn't afraid to defend women and defend their dignity and to ask men to come to a higher calling, uh, to uh, really respect women. And so, uh, again, just very um, gratified to when I go through Bishop Sheen's library of talks, uh, he gave many reflections. Uh, Again, even during Vatican II, uh, Bishop Sheen was very much involved in writing the documents on the role of women in the church. And uh, so again, uh, what a great advocate he was uh, for, of course, the the dignity of woman, the, uh, I like to say, the feminine genius. Uh, He saw that years and years before his time. Um, Again, I like to say he's years ahead of his time. But uh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for Bishop Sheen's teachings. So... Uh, Anyway, we're going to share that uh, great reflection today. And, of course, we have our catechism lesson, as we always do. Uh, We need to go to Sunday school, I like to say, (laughs) through the week. And um, uh, you remember those days when we used to go to catechism classes? And, um, you know, I think there was all those years we just seemed to go to Mass, and that was it. But uh, I do remember those years of going to catechism, and it was great. And sometimes it was through the week, and other times it was Sunday morning before Mass. Uh, but I tell you, they serve me well. And uh, the faith is, is rich. It's not, you can't do it on a weekend course. It's not meant that way. Uh, we learn it over a lifetime. 
Uh, even uh, Pope Benedict, Emeritus Benedict, uh, said, you know, that he's still learning about the Catholic faith, even uh, at his ripe old age, and because uh, there is so much. It's a treasure house. It's a rich storehouse of Catholic tradition. And uh, again, amen to that. And so let us uh, begin, as we always do, with a short prayer. And please join me in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please enjoy this reflection entitled, Women as Objects, Not Persons. One does not find in, in great literature oh, a fine portrayal of women. Some of the Russian novelists came close, Tolstoy. In our contemporary literature, women are just female zombies. Hardly anything more. And of course, women note that there's a great decline in respect shown toward them. Men no longer take off their hats in elevators. In New York, there was a man who got up the other day in a subway, really and truly, and gave a seat to a woman, and she fainted. <laughs> Just as she was falling, she said to him, thanks, and he fainted. <laughs> And I, I wonder, I wonder if there's anything in all the world, in all the world, that makes God women to more respect, disrespect, than uh, driving a convertible with their hair full of curlers. <laughs> One wonders. Well, is it true that they are losing respect and dignity? We will see. But in order to understand it, we must make a distinction. We always have to begin with a distinction because we're supposed to be thinkers and philosophers. One makes a distinction always between a person and a function. someone with whom one is in communion and the closeness of heart. A function, there's only association, like uh, walking in a factory, because in a factory you see, for example, in this studio, here we have various machines round about us, and each one of those parts has a function. And because it has only a function, it is just an it. Nothing more. One deals with a person through anecdote. The Bible is anecdotal. Great Greek writer Homer is anecdotal. 
simply because we exchange experiences of life. When we're dealing, however, with, with it or with individuals, there is less that, uh, that, that communion because an individual is replaceable, a person is not. For example, when you go to a store and order a dozen oranges, you say, uh, I don't like that orange, give me this one. Why? Because that's an individual, it's not a person. Nobody can replace your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your children. But parts and machines can be replaced. They are it. Nothing else but it. And where is this distinction between a person and a function or an it better revealed than in the modern world which is today divorcing love and sex? This is one of the most important divorces of our time. They are not supposed to be separated. Because sex is supposed to be the very highest expression of love. Today, however, they are divorced. And one has somewhat the same relationship as one does and this explanation between a person and a machine. Sex is replaceable. Anyone can supply. A person is not. A person is rooted in the heart, and if there is sex and relationship with that wife or with that husband, it is because of the strong love that exists between the two. This divorce has become so important that today sex is almost an intellectual thing. It used to be in more barbaric ages, just purely physical, sometimes divorce from love, as in the rape of the Sabine. But today, it's intellectual in the sense that it's thought about. It's in the brain, it's not just in the glands. So that uh, when a new model of an automobile is introduced, how is it introduced? Well, you have to have about 18 ballet dancers coming out and dancing on the stage, <laughs> singing about the new model. It's got nothing to do with an automobile. Absolutely nothing. And so on the billboard, advertisements for cheese, for coffee, for crackers, for hair color, anything. What, what do they have to think about? One thing. It's on their mind. Advertisers can't think of anything else. Show a picture of a new model. There's some, some girl hanging over the hood. Maybe she goes with the car. But in any case, <laughs> in any case, it's mental. It's possessing the modern mind. And one finds also another evidence of this. 
in uh, in pinup. I suppose I do not know. I've never seen any statistics, but I, I'm sure that boys who put pinup girls in their rooms probably have thirty uh, or forty percent of them might have the same girl supplied by a magazine. We are not interested, you see, in a person. So you can write away for a pinup. What is it? It's a net. That's all. Is it Mary or Jane or anyone else? No. It's just that. It. So that in George Orwell's famous work, 1984, he speaks of the coming communist society in which a boy and a girl are conversing with one another and saying, do you love it? It. Functional. That's all. A replaceable part. Then one finds also the same thing. Girls do not have pinups, but they can go in ecstasies about, well, it used to be a uniform. Now, well, for a time being, uh, tight pants and long hair. Don't let anybody tell you that we do not appreciate long-haired music today. We do. <laughs> and uh, see what is loved is what it's the general it's not the particular it's not the person and since we, we replace parts and machines hence the frequency of divorce persons are just Throwing aside almost with a brush of a hand. Now, what tends to make woman an it? Not that women make themselves it. It's because this civilization of ours has affected this divorce between a person and a function. And when a woman is a functionary or a man is a functionary, they're just it. That's all. Nothing else. Now, what is curious about this is that in an age where we so much stress sex, one finds that later on when one makes an investigation about it, it doesn't play a very important role. For example, uh, there was a survey made by a university in this country of two groups of women. Uh, one married women in the 30 age group, that is to say the early 30s, and another in those who were about 49. You see, that they never reached 50, they were just 49. <laughs> and one of the questions that was asked was, what do you as a woman judge most important in your home? And the answer was the home, things. Some women said children, which is right, because a man marries to have a woman, but a woman marries to have children. But what was interesting was that they were the queen of things, things. 
That's why advertisers have to stress detergent so you can take a dirty sock and put it inside of 20 gunny sacks and leave it in there for two seconds and look white immaculate. What a great, big, white, wonderful world we live in. And so they become interested in things. It was the home. See, it was not the husband. That's curious. Not the husband. Very few said that. When it was a person, it was children. But generally, things in the home. And then they were asked this question. What is the most important rule, uh, role of the husband? The answer was a provider. Provider. See how he became an it too? And many of the women, when asked about the job, said they didn't know exactly what he was doing, but he was a good provider. Made one, uh, made me think of, uh, of a, something that I was reading in the work of a, of a great European psychiatrist. He was saying I was, I was the economist, I was the psychiatrist, I was the doctor, I was the provider for my wife, and one night she said to me, when I was discussing a problem with her, then you really need me, don't you? And he said, then it came to me what marriage really was, that she was a person and I was a person. And so, with this overemphasis on the carnal, on the fragmented civilization in which we live, in which there's fission without any fusion, Where there's been this emphasis on the eros, women are becoming it, and even husbands are becoming it. So one can trace the stages of the decline. The decline of love, that's what it is. In the first stage, I can tell him anything. Always understand. Second stage. I can't understand why you did that. The third and last stage. Don't tell him. He wouldn't understand. <laughs> it's the person that understands. And so it's become a life of it. Now, what is the answer to this? I've only given you really the cause and indicated a few symptoms of what is happening, namely the degeneration of a person is one made in the image and likeness of God. The answer to it is this. Here I'm only talking about women. It could just as well be about husbands. But the answer, as far as women is concerned, is this. Every woman was meant to be a mother. Either physically or spiritually. 
First of all, physical motherhood is easy to understand. Physical motherhood is the incarnation of a mutual love. All love ends in an incarnation. And this kind of motherhood, too, is one in which love never grows pale because there's always a new a new veil that is lifted aside. First of all, is that of a wife and then that of a mother and, and an educator from mother craft and so forth. When, uh, uh, when they first meet, the young man and young woman, she is attracted by his power. Oh, you should see the end run he made Saturday afternoon. Power. And then she, oh, she's the most beautiful girl in the world and and, and she uses cute baby talk. <laughs> then after a while, after a short time in marriage, then she asked him to put up the screens and all the power is gone. What do you think I am, a Tarzan? <laughs> and then finally the baby talk gets on his nerves. But then there's here, there's love, real love, and all the power begins to appear in the boy and all the beauty begins to appear in the girl. He begins to revive. And the youngsters, and she begins to revive in all of her beauty and cute baby talk in the little ones. And that their love becomes a pilgrimage. It's a love of person. One for the other. Husband and wife. Finding his carnal expression here and there. But always irreplaceable. Because the first love that is the last one. And then he turns. Then there is spiritual motherhood. We must not think that there is any great priority of going to God through a husband and going to God through humanity. Spiritual motherhood is one in which there is no marriage, but there is a spending of the powers that might be utilized in a smaller group in a much larger group. No woman can see a limping dog or could see a rose overhanging a vase without her heart, mind, and soul going out to these things as if to prove that she was appointed by God as the custodian and the guardian of life. And in this, she becomes a person. Does professional life harden a woman? No, there's nothing in professional life that would harden a woman. What would harden a woman in professional life? An inability to find an outlet for her specifically creative function. The helping of humanity, right? Women on in missionaries, as missionaries. There was one nun in a leper colony, and some wealthy man on a tour passed on the outside of the leper colony, and the sister came out to see him, and he said, Sister, I wouldn't do that for a million dollars. And she said, Neither would I. Thank <laughs> you.
but she did it simply because she loved humanity. Loved the poor. And hence, the women who do not utilize this great function that God has given them, this motherly spirit, then they become withered and dried up. Some years ago, I was traveling on a plane between New York and Chicago. And the stewardess sat down alongside of me just as soon as we took off. And she said, do you remember me? No. Are you sure you don't remember me? I said, I ought to, because she was a very beautiful girl. I said, I ought to, but I don't. She said, you don't remember talking to me? I said, no. But she said, two years ago on this plane, I sat with you for 20 minutes. And I remember every word you said to me. What did I say? Well, you began by saying, you are a very beautiful girl. You see, celibacy doesn't blind us. <laughs> matter of fact, it may give us better eyesight. I don't know. But in any case, you began by saying you're a very beautiful girl, and then you added, did you know? And of all the gifts that God gives, the one that he gives back last and least of all, is the gift of beauty. He gives men money, they use it to help the poor of the world. He gives men the gift of song, and they sing for him, but when he gives, gives the gift of beauty, generally he gets back nothing but whole bones. Now that you have the gift of beauty, why don't you think of using it for people who never see anything beautiful? That's what you said. Well, I said, that sounds exactly like me, and that's what I would say. She said, I've had two years to think it over, now I'm ready to do anything. Anything else, she said, anything. She said, all right, you come to my office. In two days in New York, and I will tell you. I said, I will tell you now if you want to know. She said, it makes no difference. Because I've made up my mind. I said, you're going to Vietnam to care for lepers. That's where she is. Caring for lepers. And these poor people whose own loveliness has been ruined, now are looking out on something beautiful. And so a woman through motherhood and through a true marriage and a woman through the service of humanity becomes not the modern woman, once our superior, now our equal, the real godlike woman whom we toast. First, at the tomb on Easter morn, and closest to the cross on Good Friday. Our sincere thanks to the Fulton J. Sheen Company, who has given us permission to share these broadcasts with you today. I invite you to make Bishop Sheen a part of your family audio and video collection. You can call them toll-free at 1-866-357-4383. Or visit the official website for purchasing Catholic family videos and DVDs of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen's recordings from the Catholic television series, Life is Worth Living. The web address is www.bishopsheen.com. You will find rare collections of Catholic family video recordings addressing a variety of topics such as morality, 
Mary the Mother of God, angels, Catholic Holy Days, and other faith-based subjects. So call toll-free today, 1-866-357-4336. Again, 1-866-357-4336. And on the web, www.bishopsheen.com. And on behalf of Bishop Sheen, God love you. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Hello, my dear Radio Maria family, and thank you for joining me once again as we listen to the wisdom of Bishop Sheen. And uh, again, thank him for his generosity of spirit and how he deals with uh, delicate topics, but with great reverence and great wisdom. And so let us now uh, listen to him as he leads us in our catechism lesson today. And it is lesson number 48 of our 50-part series, and it is on the mother of Jesus. Please enjoy. Peace be to you. Did you ever think that there should be a feminine principle in religion? Just suppose. There was nothing about womanhood in religion. What a rightful protest we would hear. All religions have a feminine principle. I have on my desk a statue that was given to me by a former missionary in China. It is a statue of Quan Yen. Quan Yen, according to the Chinese legend, was a young princess who lived about 500 years before Christ. And she wanted to dedicate her virginity to God. And her father killed her. And according to the legend, a tiger dragged her into hell. And she began pleading mercy for all of the inmates of hell. So disrupted hell, so introduced charity, that the devil ordered her out of hell. So she became to the Chinese Quan Yen, the goddess of mercy. Probably just an oriental yearning for some great woman. Take the Muslims. Mohammed had a daughter whose name was Fatima. She died at a very early age. And Mohammed mourned her deeply. And he wrote concerning her, Of all the women in heaven, she is the most blessed next to Mary. Did you know that the Quran of the Muslims has over 40 verses in it concerning our Blessed Mother? They believe in the Immaculate Conception. They believe in the Virgin Birth. Then there are African peoples 
who have a tradition that when a son succeeds to a throne, the inauguration ceremonies consist of sitting on the lap of his mother. In other words, he derives some authority from the maternal principle. Take, for example, the great Latin poet, Virgil, in his fourth eclogue, which has been called a messianic poem. He has this line, Smile, chaste woman, on thy infant boy, with whom the Iron Age will pass away, and the Golden Age on all the earth be born. And then going back to Homer, the great Greek poet who lived a thousand years before Christ, he threw into history the story of a defeated man and a sorrowful woman. And this sorrowful woman, remember, while her husband, Ulysses, was away on voyage, she had many suitors. And she said to each of them, just as soon as I finish weaving this garment, I will consider your plea. And every night, she always undid the stitches that she put in during the day until her husband came back. No one could ever understand why this great poet should have made all history understand a defeated man and a sorrowful woman until there came a defeated man and a sorrowful woman. Which brings us to the subject of the real feminine principle in religion. I believe that all love begins with a dream. I think every person has in his mind, in his heart, the image of the one he loves. It is made up of memories, thoughts, dreams, ideals, experiences. And then one day, someone appears. It's called love at first sight. It is not love at first sight. It is love at second sight. Every great love is a dream come true. Did you ever see a dream walking? Well, I do. And that is why love is very much like music. We hear music for the first time and we like it. Why? Because we've already got that music inside of our own hearts. Now, when God became man, or when he willed it from the very creation of the world, he had a dream about a mother. The 
woman who would be his mother when he would take on flesh would decide the time of his birth, circumstances, the people, and all of the details. He thought of her long, long before she was born. She was the dream come true, the world's first love. Just suppose you could have made your own mother. Would you not have made her the most beautiful, kind woman in all the world? Well, God could make his own mother. God could make his own mother in somewhat the same way that artists can create. I suppose one of the most famous of all the mother paintings is Whistler's. When someone complimented Whistler about his painting, he said, well, you know how it is. One tries to make one's mummy just as good as one can. So, Almighty God, who pre-existed his own mother, made her just as beautiful as God could. That is why she was immaculately conceived. Now, what does immaculate conception mean? It means simply that she was conceived without the stain of original sin. One thing I cannot understand is why people today disbelieve in the immaculate conception. Because most people today believe they are without sin. Therefore, they are all immaculately conceived. The immaculate conception does not mean that our blessed lady did not need to be redeemed like you and I did. It merely meant that from the moment of her conception, she was immune from the stain of sin. And was not this fitting? If you have a distinguished visitor announced at your home, do you not sweep the front hall? Well, if God is going to enter this world, do you not think that he should come into portals that were rather clean? Look at all the trouble that God went to to make a paradise for man. Just in order to celebrate the first nuptials of man and woman. Well, here's a new paradise. Not the paradise of creation, but the paradise of the incarnation. And should he not, therefore, make this garden much more beautiful? Should it not be a garden in which there would not grow a single weed of sin, over whose portals the name of evil could never be written? And this paradise of the incarnation 
to be gardenered by the Adam knew was our blessed lady, the feminine principle in religion. When the time therefore came, God sent out an angel from the great white throne of the light. The angel descended down over the plains of Esdra and came to a humble virgin kneeling in prayer and said, Hail, full of grace, which means the Lord loved you. And asked that chosen woman if she would give to God human nature. And she said, be it done to me according to thy will. In Latin, it is fiat, be it done. There are three great fiats in the world. Fiat looks, let there be light of creation. Fiat voluntas tua, suffering on the cross. Fiat mihi secundum verbum tuum, be it done to me according to thy word, the Annunciation. When Mary, in the name of us all, said, I allow you to come in to this world. I will be your Eden. I will give you a human nature. And so God took upon himself in this cloistered garden a new nature. And from this woman, Christ is born. I need hardly tell you that there's no such thing as adoration of Mary. We have not made Mary important. It is our Lord that made her important. And then notice how he changed her role in relationship to us. Here we go to the marriage feast of Cana. This was at the beginning of the public life. Now at the marriage feast of Cana, our blessed Lord came and brought along with him from the Jordan all of his disciples. That is why I think the wine gave out. There were so many gate crashers. You just can't imagine a wedding ceremony in a wine country without providing enough wine. But in any case, the wine gave out. Now, who's the first one to notice it? The Blessed Mother. She knows our needs very often before we do. And she said the simple prayer, they have no wine. Now he gave a strange answer. He said, woman, what is that to me? Or more in the original Greek, what is mine is thine. My hour has not yet come. 
Let us analyze this. My hour has not yet come. Whenever our blessed Lord used the word hour, he always used it in relationship to his passion and his death. Always. For example, when they attempted to stone him on two or three occasions, the gospel said his hour was not yet come. When Judas came down in the garden to betray him, our Lord says, this is your hour. Your hour, the hour of evil. The night of the Last Supper, Father, the hour has come. So our Lord is saying to his mother, the hour of my passion and death has not yet come. What do you want me to do? You want me to work my first miracle? Do you want me to prove that I am the expected Messiah, Christ, the Son of the living God? You realize that if I work this miracle and announce myself as the Christ and the Son of God, that I will be sent to the cross? Do you want to be a mother that is sending her son to the battlefield? My dear mother, if that is what you intend to do, if you want me to begin now my public life and to usher in my death, my passion, my redemption of men, then your relation to me will change. Up to this point, in our private home life, you have been known as the mother of Jesus. But the moment that I begin my redemptive work, you will not just be my mother. You will be the mother of everyone whom I will redeem. Then you will be not just the mother of Jesus. Then you will be the mother of all humanity. And I salute you. I call you now woman, the universal mother of the world. Three years passed. We come to the cross. In the middle of those three years, one day, the Blessed Mother worried about his long night prayers and his all-day preaching was waiting in the crowd, and someone said, Your mother waits, and our blessed Lord said, Who is my mother? And then he said, Relationship is not of blood. In the new order, relationship is of the Spirit. He that doth the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. Now we come to the cross. Our Lord looks down from the cross upon the two most precious creatures that he has on this earth, John and his mother. And he speaks, first of all, to his mother. He does not call her mother. This is redemption. The hour has come. He says, Woman, And as much as a crowned head could gesture, indicating John, he adds, 
This is your son. He did not call John, John, because if he called him John, he would have been just the son of Zebedee, but leaving him unnamed. In his anonymity, John stood for all humanity. So our blessed mother is now made the mother of all humanity and not in virtue of a metaphor or a figure of speech but in virtue of the veritable pangs of childbirth. Was she to have other children? Yes, but not according to the flesh of the spirit. John was the first of that long line which we are at it. Millions and millions of sons and daughters. And he said to John, This is your mother. That's why we love Our Lady. Our blessed Lord made her our mother. The feminine principle in religion. And there is no such thing as doing her on or in a way to make us forget our Lord. Suppose I visited your home. When I went into your home, I refused to talk to your mother. What would you think? You would not entertain me very long, would you? Well, do you think our blessed Lord is going to think very kindly of us? If we pay no attention to her? And we ask her to intercede for us. Because sometimes when we want a favor, we go to the mother of the one from whom we want the favor. She has some very special powers of intercession. We say the rosary. Yes, a repetition of our Father and Hail Mary. That it merely means when we love anyone, we keep saying over and over again, I love you. Why do we say over and over again, I love you? Well, because it's a new moment of time. It's a new location in space. And so in the rosary, we keep saying the Our Father and Hail Mary is a way of telling her, I love you, I love you, I love you. And her intercession is tremendous. One day it seems that our blessed Lord was walking through the courts of heaven and he saw some souls that apparently got into heaven very easily. And he went to Peter. He said, Peter, I have given to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. How did these souls gain entry into my kingdom? Peter said, don't blame me, Lord. 
every time I close a door, your mother opens a window. And that's the way perhaps some of us will get in. The open window. George Bernard Shaw said shortly before he died, I think maybe his mother will let me in. So we are her children. And as her children, we never grow up. And we say to her, in the lovely language of Mary Dixon Thayer, lovely lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy. Tell me what to say. Did you lift him up sometime, gently on your knees? Did you sing to him the way mother does to me? Did you ever try telling him stories of the world? And, oh, did he cry? Do you think he cares if, if I tell him things? Just little things that happen. And do angels' wings make a noise? Can he hear me if I speak low? Does he understand me now? Tell me, for you know. Lovely lady dressed in blue. Teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy, and you know the way. God love you. Hello, Radio Maria family. Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen was a master communicator with an unforgettable voice and ability to communicate the message of Christianity to all peoples. He was a Catholic priest with a tremendous knowledge of Catholic theology. We've been blessed to share his recordings through the generosity of our good friends at FultonSheen.com. I would ask you to visit their website to download hundreds of MP3 talks by the great Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Please visit them at www.FultonSheen.com and there you can enjoy the voice of the master preacher of Christ who touched the lives of millions worldwide with his warmth, wisdom, and humor. So please visit FultonSheen.com to start enjoying your own collection of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen recordings. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith. Well, my dear Radio Maria family, our hour has come to an end, and so I'd like to thank you for joining me, and I'd ask you to bring a friend next week. And so until that time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace.
You have been listening to Your Life is Worth Living, hosted by Al Smith, here on Radio Maria Canada.